Well, our text this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and going through the first part of verse 10. You know, the cross is the power of God. The cross of Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. The proclamation of the cross needs no embellishment. God needs no assistance. That's sort of the point of the text that came before that was preached upon last week. In God's wisdom, he has determined that the cross is to be proclaimed by ordinary means, by ordinary men, by the ordinary way of human communication, which is words. And in this way, it is his power and his power alone that is attributed as the means of salvation. God's power to convert, God's power to transform. That was in the text from last week's message, which Pastor Owens preached to us. And now in verses 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul turns to God's wisdom. Wisdom has come up several times before in this letter already, but that is particularly the subject of the text this morning. I'll begin reading at the end of verse 5, just so we get a little context here for this morning's message. And please stand for the reading of God's word. The last part of verse 5 is where we'll begin. Paul writes, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now, wisdom can be a bit of a dangerous thing. People follow the wisdom of their age. We might call it an ethos. What Paul speaks of, of the wisdom of the present age when he was writing, the wisdom of the age, we might today call your worldview. So ethos, way of thinking, worldview, wisdom of the age, all really mean about the same thing. It can be a very dangerous thing, though, to be striving after wisdom. And that's because most of us give very little thought, if any, to what wisdom, what ethos, what worldview we're following and how particularly that leads to our actions. The, the, the Corinthians here were infatuated with wisdom or what they called wisdom or what that culture around them called wisdom. They were infatuated with it. They sought after it. They found their prestige, their status, their self-image in the wisdom that they followed, and more importantly, the man who pervaded, pervaded that wisdom to them. The infamous I follows of chapter 1, verse 11. The Corinthians, infatuated with wisdom as they were, they looked for teachers who could lead them into the depths of mysteries, teachers who could explain the meaning of life, explain all riddles, enlighten them about themselves. They wanted wise teachers. Today we might call them cult leaders or gurus or some such title. And so much did the Corinthians want wisdom that they were willing to have a divided, fractured church over it. Verse 111, what I mean is, each one of you says, and then verse 12 in chapter 1, 
I follow, I follow, I follow. Searching after wisdom. Infatuated with it. The search for wisdom as old as creation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve sees that the tree was good for food. And what's remarkable about that? I would argue nothing. I would say all the trees that were there, if they were fruit trees, would be good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. And again, I would ask, is there anything remarkable about that? We could argue probably not. All the trees were probably very beautiful, very delightful to the eyes. But here's the thing that I think put her over the top with her husband, Adam. It was to be desired to make one wise, and so she ate of it. The search for wisdom, the search for that wisdom, other than what God has revealed, the search for wisdom that makes us autonomous from God, the search for wisdom that began the first sin in the garden. Adam and Eve had the garden, and with it they had God's very presence, but they couldn't wait on the Lord to grow them in wisdom. They had to have it now, and so they ate. And I'd argue that the Corinthians also had something very similar to this. They had God's presence. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? They had God with them. They were in danger of repeating the first couple's error. Their disunifying, fractious behavior put the gospel itself at risk. And so Paul is concerned with the unity of the church in this letter. As we said a few weeks ago, beginning at verse 10, all the way through chapter 2, unity, unity, unity. He puts the pedal to the metal, as we say, and calls the church then to stop their fractious behavior, to be satisfied with the wisdom of God that they have, and to stop dividing over it. What is the thing with wisdom that was so attractive to them? Why were they willing to break up over it? Why did they have these parties based upon this wisdom with which they were so obsessed? I don't want to lecture this morning about wisdom and what it is. I'm just going to let the word mean what it commonly means. But I believe that it was the division over wisdom that was Paul's main emphasis. And why did they go for these wisdom? Why were they looking for leaders? Why did they have to say I follow? Why do we have to say that Piper's my guy or MacArthur's my guy or whoever I follow, I follow, I follow because this one gives me a wisdom, this one gives me something that others cannot. Ultimately what it did was it made them like the world. There's a great fear that we have a great fear that man has had even back then, and I would argue still today, of being different. Of holding to a wisdom of the age, an ethos, a worldview other than what everybody else does. Because we don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. I believe that this is what was happening with the Corinthians. This is why they were gathering this way. And what Paul is saying is, you no longer that. This is no longer your way of thinking. You don't have to be associated with these men. God has given you this wisdom. But it was the fear of standing out, of being different. Church, we are different. If you're in Christ Jesus, you do think differently. You think in terms of the wisdom of the kingdom of God, not the wisdom of this age. This is Paul's point. 
And this fear that we have, this dislike, if you're not afraid of it, then this dislike of standing out, of being different, is what we need to look at this morning. Are you afraid of being different? Are you afraid of speaking up in the office? The office ain't what it used to be, is it? Even before COVID, the office that you work in today is not the office that I worked in in the 80s and 90s and the early part of the 2000s. It's changed so much. And now with the pandemic, even more so. And yet, in that metaphorical sense, even going into whatever social gathering we have, however it may work, we don't want to stand out. It's hard to stand out. This is what Paul would have them understand is you're giving in to the world when you go for this wisdom. I believe that they wanted to fit in. They wanted to be a Christian, and they wanted to fit in in the world that they came from at the same time. I think this is part of the sin of 1 Corinthians 5. We're not going to go into there too much, but this is where the man had his father's wife, probably his stepmother. And why did they tolerate this? Why did they want to brag about this? To show that, no, we're just like you. Oh, we're Christians, but we're really the same. We believe in Jesus Christ, but, you know, we still fit in with you. And Paul's saying, no, you don't. And brethren, I tell you, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, the wisdom of God that brought you to Christ says that you are different. You're not the same. You don't fit in with the world. God's wisdom sets you apart from the wisdom of this age. You need to be ready to think differently, to act differently. And why is that? Because God's wisdom is different. The ethos, the worldview that he has brought upon you is different than that from which you came. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. That's Isaiah chapter 55. There's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trusting in God. Are you ready to be different? Are you ready to hear from the scripture that the wisdom that brought you into the kingdom of God is totally incompatible with the wisdom of the age from which you came? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to truly stand out in this world? To be something other than what is out there, if you will? Let's see if we truly trust God. Let's see if we are really willing to be as different as God's wisdom is from the wisdom of this age. Verse 6 says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. God's wisdom is different because it belongs to a different age. Now, I read that first part of the verse. I want to reread that. I want to put an emphasis here for you. Paul says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. And this is the reason why I read from verse 5, where Paul ends that section by saying that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And now he's saying, but we are not devoid of wisdom. We do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, it's a different wisdom because it belongs to a different age. Just as you are a different person because you belong to a different owner. You were once owned by this world and the ruler of this world, our enemy, our adversary, you're now purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. Couldn't be more different 
And the wisdom which accomplished this is as different as the wisdom of the age from which you came. It's different. God's wisdom is different because it belongs to another age. Who is it given to? It's given to the mature. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. I want to spend just a moment on mature. What does Paul mean by mature? Could he mean upper grade Christians, those who have delved more into the mysteries, those who have got the secret handshake more down pat and could do it more quickly? No, he means nothing like that. That would go against everything he's been working towards, towards unifying the church. There are those among us who are mature in their faith in the ways that some of us are not. We've been through trials. Our faith has been burnished to a shining glow that others don't have. And so there's a maturity there, but it's not a maturity that sets them apart, that puts a boundary between us. It's a maturity that is something that can edify and bring the rest of us up. We can go and say, how did you get through that medical problem, that job problem, that relational issue? And I did it through trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I did it by looking to his word and following it. Can you coach me along and show me what that's like? Because you have a maturity there. Your faith has been grown in a way that I want mine to. There's that maturity, but it's not a segregating maturity. And it's not really the maturity that Paul has in mind here. And I just throw that out there for you so we get the category right. What does Paul mean by mature? He means the saved. You are mature in the Lord if you have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is maturity. Now, there's different brands of maturity, as I alluded to just a second ago. But the maturity he means here is coming from being a child of Satan, a child of the devil, in that world, in that present age, in that wisdom, and being a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the maturity he means here. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We do impart this wisdom. It's a different kind of wisdom in the way that it is communicated. Now again, the Corinthians, like many of us, too often, looking for intricacies in the way to God that are really not intricacies at all. They're very simple. And they're, they're just dying to hear the secret code, to get the handshake, to get the password, or whatever it is. And here Paul says, yet we do, among the mature, I want to be the mature. Maturity was just as much a part of wisdom and this following of leaders for the Corinthians as anything else. Oh, I'm mature. I understand things. I've got it. They're, they're at the edge of their seats when they hear this. We do impart wisdom. How is it communicated? Well, in part. In part, there, there's a word behind it that's really very special. Are you ready for this? Do you want to hear the deep things of the Lord now? This is what the Corinthians were waiting for. We impart. Now, you can be like Ralphie. You need the little decoder ring so Orphan and Annie can give you the secret message, right? What's behind it? It's a Greek word. Are you ready for this? The Greek word, laleo. There's your intricate secret. There's the wisdom that's going to give you prestige and status. It's going to make you look like you really know things. And what does laleo mean? To speak. This is the wisdom of God. 
that something as mighty as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, the wisdom and power of God, which is the cross, and when we say cross, we mean his perfect life, his death on that cross, his burial after the cross, his resurrection after his burial, and his ascension to the God's right hand after his resurrection. The cross entails all of that. And how is that marvelous message communicated? We do impart wisdom with words. It's simply spoken. This is what Paul is arguing for in the section above. We do not use persuasive words. We do not fall back on eloquence. So that the power of God is in the cross and the cross alone so that you're not following man. Is eloquence in and of itself a bad thing? Is persuasive words in and of themselves bad? Well, no. Eloquence, if eloquence means simplicity of expression and clarity of expression so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is heard in your language and it comes into your mind and you say, I understand what he's saying. If that is eloquence, let's have more eloquence. But if eloquence means anything that puts the attention on man, on my sophistication, on the preacher's intellect? No. That's flat out. This wisdom is different because of its pure simplicity. It's a different wisdom because of the wisdom that will not pass away. He said, we do impart wisdom, not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. If they're doomed to pass away, Paul obviously and clearly implies God's wisdom is not. God's wisdom is not a wisdom of this particular age, and it's a wisdom that will not pass away. I want to notice, before we go on much further, and I want you to notice that Paul no longer calls the cross folly. He's, he's done playing that game. I want you to notice that. He's done talking about the cross, the foolishness of the cross, which is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit sarcastic. That's gone. He's handled that. The wisdom of God is in the cross of Christ. It's different from the wisdom of this age because of the way it's imparted, to whom it's imparted. And it's different from the wisdom of this age because God's wisdom is unchangeable. I, uh, the Lord, I, the Lord, says the prophet Malachi, do not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's the difference. The wisdom of this age is like the house built on the sand. It doesn't stand up for a generation. I'm 65. I was born in 1955. That's sort of an amazing thing to think of all the things that have happened since then. I was born just a little bit less than a decade after World War II ended. That just blows my mind to think I'm 65 now, so 10 years is not that long anymore. It's like the, the ashes were still smoldering. Television was a luxury. These little black and whites with tubes that took five minutes to warm up and half the time would blow up because they got too hot. I remember that, and some of you do. I see the heads nodding. But more than that, what is the wisdom of this age? I don't want to go into a litany of all the things in terms of moral corruption that have changed so quickly. Divorce, 
and marriage and homosexuality and all the others. And how at one time in my lifetime, when I was young, these things were unheard of. When I was a kid, if someone was from a family where the parents had divorced, it was like, what? I'm not talking like a 19-year-old kid, a little kid. It was unknown. The wisdom of this age was that people, of that age was that people stayed together. Al Mohler speaks often of the moral revolution. I'll go into no detail about that except to say that several years ago, not even a generation ago, that was unheard of. The wisdom of this age is that house built on sand. The wisdom of this age is unreliable. The wisdom of this age, this present age, and the age before us, and the age before that, and going all the way back to the garden, I would say, is so changeable and so malleable and so pandering to our sinful lusts and desires. Totally unreliable. What is this difference? What is this difference that sets you apart and makes you need to be different from the world out there is God's wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom by which you were saved, is eternal, unchangeable, unmalleable. It doesn't give in to the desires of men. It doesn't pander to the needs of the time. Needs in quotes. It's completely antithetical to it. Jesus' coming inaugurated the kingdom of God. Jesus' coming put in motion what the prophet Isaiah saw centuries before. He said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. We don't yet have the new heavens. We don't yet have the new earth. What do you have? What do you have that differentiates you from the world as it exists now? From the wisdom of this present age? Just that. You have the wisdom of God in your salvation in Christ. Jesus' first words in public ministry was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, and here's the language of that kingdom. It's repentance. That's what he says. That's the wisdom. It's as simple as that. And it's as differentiating as that. Are you able to be different than what is out there? I don't mean pugnacious. I don't mean getting in people's faces and saying, well, you're wrong about this and you've got to be wrong about that. I'm just talking about living differently, speaking differently, thinking differently. The old wisdom that applied to that age, even to this age now, is passing away. And as I just said, we've seen wisdoms pass away, even in our lifetime. Jesus spoke of how old wineskins cannot be used to contain new wine. He spoke of how you cannot use a piece of an old garment to make repairs on a new one because the old patch will tear the new garment. The old and the new just don't go together. The wisdom of God doesn't work with the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this present age. They don't go together. The wisdom of God, this eternal wisdom, couldn't be more different. It is communicated through plain words to the mature, to the saved. It is not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom by which people rule over us. It is not the wisdom that changes, that is malleable, it's not like a Plato kind of wisdom. 
that you can make into whatever you want. And so you, believer, we want to be like the Corinthians. We want to still meld into the world. We have to admit that in our flesh, we just don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. And yet, here is what Paul is saying. You've been like the world and chasing after wisdom, but you're chasing after the wrong thing. Because that wisdom is passing away. The rulers of that wisdom are passing away. They are doomed to pass away. And yet the wisdom which called you to Christ is the eternal gospel. Wisdom of God in the cross. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. It's different because it was decreed before the world was made. And here is why I can say from the previous verse, it's eternal. It's unchangeable. When did God do this? Eternity passed. This reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, where he says that he chose us, God the Father chose us to be in him, God the Son, when? Before the foundation of the world. What was before the world? Nothing. God called what is, which is all creation, what is from nothing that was. So before there was a world, God in his wisdom called you to be in Christ. Before he even said the first, let there be. And now we read that this secret, this hidden wisdom of God was decreed by God before the ages. It's different because it's eternal. It's different because it came before the world was even made. What's the purpose of this wisdom? We have it here. God decreed it for our glory. For our glory. For your glory if you're in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we're going to be glorified beings like angels or some, something like Jesus as some cults might say? Well, no, of course not. What Paul means here for our glory is our resurrection. Our being in Jesus' very presence, being able to stand before God and see Him as He is, for we shall be like Him. That's what he means here by our glory. The secret hidden wisdom of God revealed by these plain words, laleo, imparted, just given in plain language. He speaks of the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which is no longer secret or no longer hidden. Now, it was for a very, very long time. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to God, but the things have been revealed are for us and our children after us. Well, for a long time, the cross of Jesus Christ, that wisdom of God, was secret. It was hidden. It was being revealed. Isaiah 53 would speak about the coming Savior who would die for the sins of his people. He was bruised for our iniquities. Well, it's plain language, but it's still hidden. It's still a bit secret. It's coming into view, but it's not quite there yet. Now we have it. We impart, we speak the secret, hidden wisdom of God. What was secret, what was hidden. And completely differentiates us. Now why does Paul use such language here? Again, it's the Corinthians' refusal to be different. He's sort of teasing them a bit. You like secrets. You like wisdom. What's well, been revealed? If you want secret, if you want hidden things, this is it. Is what God decreed in the cross of Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. Aren't secrets great? Don't you love to have secrets? You remember being a little kid? When I was a little kid, I used to try and make secret codes. 
just so I could pass secret messages. Because I was in fifth and sixth grade. Do you know how many other students in my class knew Hebrew? None. So I'd take the Hebrew alphabet and I'd correlate each of the Hebrew letters to an English letter and I'd make up these codes. Well, it's kind of ridiculous because I was the only one who could do anything at all with it, but you love secrets. We love secrets as a kid and honestly, at some extent, we join with the Corinthians and their love of secrets. A secret's been revealed. It's the cross. We imparted it, says the Apostle Paul. We simply spoke it. The secret hidden wisdom of God, God decreed before the ages, so it's an unchangeable decree. And for our glory, for your glorification, as Romans 8.30 says, that those whom he justified, he also glorified. Does that mean he's going to make you qualitatively something glorious? No, glorified means our ultimate salvation, and as I said, standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been revealed. Do you know this wisdom? Do you know this cross? It's told you in simple words. Can I tell you now? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. There's the cross. There's simple language for you. Are you a sinner who needs to come to to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the wisdom of God, which He decreed before, before the ages. Jesus Christ started His public ministry. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Have you repented? Have you confessed yourself the sinner, the foremost of all sinners? Go to the cross. Go to the wisdom of God. Go there where the wisdom of God is revealed. The secret and hidden wisdom of God is in the cross. If you will repent of your sins, if you will confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross and His work on the cross, and that alone you will be glorified, by which we mean saved. Christ said in Matthew eleven twenty six, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Not to the rulers of this age. Not to the great leaders of, of, of wisdom in the Corinthians age. To little children. To little 65-year-old children like me. To little five-year-olds sometimes. God has revealed them to whom He will. As Jesus said, the Spirit goes this way and that. You can't predict His his movings. You don't know what He's going to do, but God does. And God reveals these things. The secret and hidden wisdom of God revealed to whom God will. Jesus Christ Himself thanks God that He has hidden them from the wise and from the prudent and from the eloquent and those who have persuasive words and those who call attention to themselves and those who rule over others and reveal it all to little children. Little children who see themselves as sinners, fall down before the cross of Jesus Christ, plead with God for forgiveness of their sins and repent by faith in what Christ has done. That is the wisdom of God decreed before all ages. 
as different because it was decreed before the world was made. It's an unchangeable wisdom. If you today will repent and come to Christ, Christ will never forsake you. That's what he said. Because this decree, this wisdom of God, came before the foundation of the world. It was before all ages. Couldn't be more different than the changeable things that are happening, can we just say, out there. They've changed so many times in my few years in this life. Some of you are younger than my son. They've changed in your life as well. This will never change. I say wisdom is a dangerous thing at the beginning. Your wisdom, the wisdom of this age, the worldview, the ethos which you follow, it leads to something. You do something because of the way you think. You do something because of your worldview. It leads to actions. Look at verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Oh, think about that one for a moment. Think about the difference between God's wisdom and their wisdom. If they had understood God's wisdom, which none of them did, and by this age, Paul means that age when he was living. Some commentators think this age is from Genesis 3.15, the first sin until Christ's return at the end of the book of Revelation. That's this age, and there's a lot to say for that. I make it a little bit more finite. I think the ages can change throughout time. The age, as I've said, I've lived in a couple of different ages in that sense in my own lifetime. None of the rules of this age and Paul's age understood this. None of the rules in our age today understand this. But if they had in Paul's age, he says they wouldn't have done something. They wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory, which is to say, I think that they may well have believed him in him if they'd understood this wisdom. Wisdom can be a very dangerous thing. The search for the wrong kind of wisdom could lead you to all kinds of wrong directions. Just look at Eve when she saw that the fruit was good for making one wise. God's wisdom is different because God's wisdom leads you to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Where the rulers of that age, the rulers of our age, had they understood this, they would not have crucified Jesus, but would have believed in him. They would have followed him. They would have loved him. God's wisdom leads you in that direction. It's different because the powerful and the elite just couldn't get it. As clearly as it was spoken, perhaps it was rejected because of its sheer simplicity. Well, I can listen to that message. I understand the words you're saying. The sentences make into good paragraphs and so forth. But, you know, I can't brag about that when I go to the big cocktail parties. I, I can't be boastful that I follow so, something so simple as believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. Jesus said himself, in John 8 and 43, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. They don't understand it. They're standing in the presence of the Lord of glory and couldn't understand any of the words he was saying about faith, about salvation, about believing in God, about following what the scriptures had always pointed towards, which was him. Why do you not believe what I say? Why do you not understand my words? 
because you're enraptured by the wisdom of the wrong age. You're not willing to be different. You're not willing to stand out from the crowd. What did Paul mean to do here? He meant to destroy the barriers that were erected over favored preachers. The eye follows. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood that if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So wisdom does lead us somewhere. Your worldview leads to an action. What does it mean to us? As we look at verse 8 and we remember, what is Paul striving for? Unity in the Corinthian church. Why did the Holy Spirit have this inscripturated? So that we would strive for unity in this Sunnyvale church. Striving together. I want to ask in the negative sense, what does it mean to not strive for unity? Part of it's from fear of not uh, from the fear of standing out from the rest. Well, look like other people. We just want to have that wisdom of that world keep us like the world in some ways, just enough that we don't feel too different and they don't see us as too different. And yet it's the old patch put onto the new garment or vice versa, it just isn't going to work. Paul's destroying here the barriers that are erected, erected over favored preachers, those I follows, and to not strive for unity when he says here that if they had understood this need for unity, if they had understood what the cross was about, they wouldn't have done something, which is to crucify the Lord of glory. To bring this into Paul's immediate meaning and context about unity, to not strive for unity is to crucify Jesus again. Because if you understand the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is the cross of Christ, and I preached a few weeks ago from this very book, this very letter, that one of the purposes of the cross of Christ is the unity of the church, and to not have unity is to imply that the cross did not accomplish what God intended. It's like crucifying him again. Now, can you crucify him again? Of course not. It happened once for all time, in time and space, when Jesus Christ went to the cross. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, speaks about those who are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, harm and holding him up to contempt. It's as if you're saying that his cross was not enough. That his death, his suffering for your sin, was not enough to accomplish everything you need. To not be unified in the church is, verse 8 would say, by crucifying again the Lord of glory. We don't crucify him again. Not metaphorically, certainly not literally. But it's as if we're saying he needs to be crucified again in order to accomplish this thing. Do you understand the wisdom of this age? Or this wisdom of the kingdom? Because if you do, and Paul's whole thrust here is the unity of the church is something that you must actively work towards. Volunteerism. Looking for ways to be at one with others. The hard part. Going to others and speaking of the offense that you might have and being willing to hear them say, what, that bothered you? I only meant, and you know, they kind of blow you up, but you have to stay with it. And it's hard. It's terribly hard. 
But to not make that commitment, to not actively seek reconciliation, to not actively volunteer for things that will bring the church together, to not be actively a part of this, is to not understand the wisdom of God in this church age. The wisdom of the kingdom. Like crucifying once again the Lord of glory. Who is this Lord of glory? Psalm 24, 7 asks this way. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the King of glory. And always the call of God to those who are unwise, to those who are immersed in the wisdom of this age is from Psalm 2. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. Now therefore, O child, be wise and be warned. Now therefore, all you who know not the Lord Jesus Christ, be wise, be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. What does it mean to serve the Lord? Jesus Christ commands, repent. For the kingdom of heaven. Serve the Lord with fear by fearing the consequence of not repenting, which is eternal dying, not eternal death, eternal dying. Serve him with fear by repenting and rejoice with trembling, trembling at what you would avoid and what is taken away from you, the suffering that you will not endure if you should repent and go to the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered on your behalf. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, pay homage to the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. This is the wisdom of the kingdom. This is the wisdom that you are called to. This is the wisdom that differentiates you from the rest. Are you willing to be that different? The Corinthians weren't. That's why they kept seeking after wisdom, so they'd have something to brag about. Finally, the difference of this wisdom compared to man's wisdom is his revelation. We spoke earlier about how it is imparted, how it is simply communicated. But as we will see, communicating it is different than revealing it. And understanding it is different than having it be revealed. Verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through His Spirit. It is different from the wisdom of this world because this wisdom is not attainable by your senses. Your eye cannot behold it. Your ear cannot hear the words of it. In your deepest self, you cannot imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Notice it's different because it was prepared by God. It was set in place by God. It was decreed before the ages by God. It is different because it is for those who love God. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you have what no other eye has seen, what no other ear has heard, what no one else can imagine. Things revealed to us through the Spirit. So this wisdom is different because it comes only by revelation of the Spirit. As Jesus Christ said, you must be born again. You must be made new. 
as Ezekiel wrote, your heart of stone needs to be removed and a heart of flesh put in its place. And only God, by his spirit, can do this. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. Different because revealed only by the spirit of God. Among the mature, we do impart this wisdom. Not the wisdom of the sage or the rulers of the sage who are doomed to pass away. Or call this church to be willing to stand on the wisdom of God. Do you know this wisdom? If you're in Christ Jesus, then you are a beneficiary of this wisdom. We need to stand on it. We need to be willing. We need to be courageous in Christ Jesus our Lord to be different from what is out there. The Corinthians failed in this. God willing, they turned the corner and followed the apostles' instruction and immersed themselves in the wisdom of God. May that be the case for this church. May we be those that because of the wisdom of God are unified in the cross of Christ wherein is found both the wisdom and the power of God. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the revelation of Jesus Christ to us, for the wisdom of God that showed him to us, that broke our hearts and pulled us out of those, this world and gave us new hearts to believe so that we might be the wisdom of God in following the cross of Christ Jesus our Lord. And we just pray that you would impress these things upon us and make us more and more into the people that you would have us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.